Go ahead and, if you have your Bibles, grab them and turn to Matthew chapter 13. I want to do something a little bit uh, just different. I, I got a text um, Friday night, I think, uh, from a young man that was in uh, our, uh, uh, Greg, he was in our devotional group on Wednesday night. Uh, he he went to Maine in July, and he's hiking the Appalachian Trail, and his intent is to to be used of God out there on this trail to present the gospel. And he just sent me an update, said, I've made, I've been at it five weeks, said I'm about 500 miles into it. Uh, he's, he got Maine and New Hampshire covered. He was in Vermont, and he's headed south. But he's, but he's out there. Now, just think about this. Now he's, now, he's young enough, strong enough to be able to hike 500 miles in five weeks. That's pretty good. But, anyway, but, but his, the desire of his heart is to share the gospel and to engage people in God's creation and talk to them about Jesus. And so what I want to do, I just want to start right now, and I just want pray, us to pray for Brant. And so over the next two months, if you think about him, uh, pray for Brant as he uh, traverses the Appalachian Trail and shares Jesus with people. Let's pray. Father, uh, Lord, I, I pray for my friend, Brant. I pray for anointing. Lord, he's taken a couple days to recoup and to get fr- freshened up and give his feet a rest. So I pray that you give him strength. And, uh, Father, that you revive him, renew his, his energy. And, Father, I pray for the conversations that he's going to have as he encounters the beauty of, of your creation. God, I pray that he would find favor with the hearts of men that need the gospel. And, Father, I pray that he would, he would have fruit for his labor. And so just be with my friend, bless him, use him. God, may that inspire me and us as we go about our day, as we go about our week, to look for chances to have conversations about the gospel. Lord, we want to do that. We need to do that. Lord, the world needs us to talk to them about Jesus. So God, help us, and we'll honor you and give you the glory, and we ask it, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I didn't intend to do that. I just thought about that, but it kind of leads into what we're going to talk about because uh, Jesus is at an interesting stage in his ministry, which I'll say about in a few moments, but, but when the gospel goes out, here's kind of a question if Jesus is who he says he is, then why doesn't everyone believe? If, I mean, why did the religious leaders of the day, how did they miss Jesus? Why did they reject him if Jesus is who he says he is? Better yet, why do people today, uh, not when they get the gospel, why do they not all believe? Why is it that if you have a conversation or if I have a conversation with someone and, and, and we kind of lay it out for them and, and we kind of explain it and, and, and all that, why is it that they do not uh, believe? I mean, think about this. Christopher Hitchens was a renowned, uh, really world-famous intellectual atheist. He was one of the modern atheists, uh, very, uh, and a, a genius, died rejecting Faith died an atheist rejecting the gospel. His brother Peter became a believer and a follower of the things of God. And so how does one brother 
believe and the other brother die as an atheist? How is it that, 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 that you know, family may have two sons and, and, and one of them peddles drugs and the others, for lack of a better way to say it, they peddle the gospel. I mean, they carry the torch or carry the banner. How, how, does, how does that happen? Why does that happen? How, how, can, how can people grow up in the same environment, hear the same messages, be under the same influences, and yet grow up and have such different beliefs? How does God's Word have such a different impact on its hearers? I mean, think about it. For some of you, this is, this is true. Not all of you. But, but for some of you, you, you believe and you follow Jesus. How can you believe and follow Jesus and your spouse has decided not to follow? How does, how does that work? Why does that happen? Well, I believe Jesus addressed that issue uh, in the parable that we're going to look at today. It's called, it's a very popular, probably one of the more famous parables. A uh, very popular parable in Matthew chapter 13. It's called the parable of the sower. Sometimes we call it uh, the parable of the soils. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to quibble with you uh, what you call it. But the interesting thing is it appears in all three gospels, in Matthew, or all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's here in Matthew 13. It's in Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8. But, but each writer gives it a, a little different nuance. And probably the reason that's true is that each writer had a little different audience. I mean, Matthew wrote to the nation of Israel. He presented Jesus as king and Messiah, and so that was kind of his intent. Uh, Mark seemed to, uh, to, to write to, to, the, to the Gentile, to, to the common man, and, of course, Luke, the beloved physician. We know he wrote to Theophilus, and he said, I want to give you an orderly account of what happened, so he wrote it to an individual. And, and yet, in, in regardless of... of, of of the audience, they include this. And in, in Matthew 13, it, it seems like Jesus presents this parable in response to uh, what you, really, if you're a dispensationalist, it was, it's almost like Jesus said, okay, I, I'm done with the nation of Israel. I'm done with the Jewish people. I want to take the gospel to the Gentiles in the church. And there's a little bit of a sense of that because what happens in chapter 12 is, is they reject Jesus and then they go so far to say uh, to Jesus, listen, the reason you do what you do, the reason you're doing the, the miracles you're doing, you're doing them by the power of Beelzebul. In other words, by the power of the enemy. By the power of the devil. And, and so in response to that, in fact, Jesus went, Jesus went so far as to say that if you can blaspheme me, but if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there's no forgiveness. Not now, not ever. And so kind of in response to that, it's almost like there's a, you know, that's chapter 12. Well, if you look there, in fact, let's just, let's just pick it up in, in Matthew 1 because it's interesting. Now, this has just happened. They have accused him of being casting out demons for Beelzebul. And he tells them, hey, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you can blaspheme me all you want. You can be forgiven. But if you blaspheme the Spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit won't happen. Listen, verse, verse 1, Matthew 13. That same day, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. 
And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now that's kind of an interesting statement. Let's just pause there for, for, for a second. You know, we kind of, if you grew up in church, we grew up on these things. We grew up on the parables. You know, we kind of, we've got the whole deal. Well, when Jesus finished telling this story here, you know, uh, a, a parable was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But Jesus spoke in parables because the, those that were blind and those that were unbelievers could not fathom. They couldn't, they didn't get it. And so Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he kind of goes on and talks about that in verse 10 through 17. But let's pick up in verse 18 because he explains the parable to them. And uh, by the way, he's talking to his disciples here. And he says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world... And um, I kind of lost my spot there. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, the, the word. And notice what it says, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, that is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold. In another, sixty. And in another, thirty. Shall we pray together? Father, would you take your word and open it up? Would you take our hearts? And uh, lay them bare this morning. And may you speak to us uh, out of your word into our hearts. Uh, and we will be careful to, uh, to listen. Lord, help us to be careful to obey and then to honor you. Uh, Father, I pray that as we, as we consider uh, Jesus' message, that we'll kind of put ourselves in this parable. And we'll put our heart in this parable. And we'll get a sense uh, of where we are. Uh, in this process. And God, so speak into our life, and we'll honor you, Lord, and give you the glory for all you do. In Jesus' name, we ask. Uh, amen. Amen. Well, Jesus is the consummate storyteller, and it's amazing when you just hear the questions he asks, and you get a sense for the story he tells. But just imagine with me, he's, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's come, he comes out of the house, there's a great multitude gathered, we don't really know how many at this time, and so Jesus, he gets in a boat, and he's seated kind of in a boat off the shore, and there's a great multitude gathered around him. And, and I've never been to Israel, but in what I've read and what I've learned on this particular occasion, you know, obviously the, the, the shore, but they, they believe the crops would come almost up to the seashore because not far from the shore of the lake, 
you know, uh, the, the hills would just kind of begin to rise up. And, and so you can kind of almost imagine Jesus out looking right in the backdrop. The hills are just, it's almost like he's in the foothills. And, and, uh, and we don't know. It was a very agrarian society. And so we don't know if Jesus looks up there and he, he sees some farmers. So maybe he sees just the grain in the fields or maybe he sees guys in the field doing the work. But, but, but for whatever reason, it inspired him. In fact, he may have seen someone, but it inspired him to tell this story. And what he was, what he was communicating to them is, is when the gospel goes out, here's what's going to happen. He tells us what's going to happen to the message of the gospel in verses one, uh, 3 through 8. But he tells us why in 18 to 23. And so he uses this story, this word picture, because they lived in a, it was a very agrarian culture. And, and what I mean by that, they didn't all farm. But man, when they walked from Jerusalem to Bethany, wherever they went, they walked through the grain field. I mean, they walked through the field. I mean, they kind of, you know, we, if you get out in West Texas, you get to the other side of 35, you kind of see that. We're out in the middle of the grain fields and all. And that, that was kind of their, that was kind of their culture. And so he tells this story about planting the crop. Now, in the story, uh, let me just say quickly, there are three main players. Uh, there are three really uh, parts to the story, if you will. And uh, let me just go over those real quickly. Obviously, the sower, uh, he said, Jesus said a sower went out to sow. And um, I believe in this case, it's the Son of God. If you look down all the way down to verse 37 to the next parable, the parable of the, uh, the weeds or the parable of the wheat and the tares, um, he, he, Jesus says in verse 37 says the one who sows the good seed is the son of man now that's not the same parable but I think that the intent there is that, that ultimately Jesus was the bearer the sower of the seed now, uh, now then the disciples became the sowers and then the apostles over in the book of Acts and then the preachers of the gospel became the sowers and even today you and I become the sower of the seed. And so the first player there is the sower. The second player would be the seed. Now the seed is simply the message of the kingdom, the message of the gospel. The, the seed is, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's really uh, the picture. Now interestingly enough, the sower can change, but the seed never does. Jesus proclaimed the message. The disciples proclaimed the message. The apostles in Acts proclaimed the message. Today, we proclaim a message. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. He said, I delivered to you what is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared. And he says, that's it. That's the gospel. Jesus lived. Jesus died, God raised him from the dead. And when you put faith in his name, it'll change your life. And so that's the message of the gospel. Well, the third player, so that's the message, that's the seed. Well, the third player in the parable are the soils. And Jesus gives us four kinds. He says there's, you know, there's this, this hard stuff. There's this shallow stuff, which we'll kind of talk about this in a minute. Then there's this cluttered soil. I call it the stifled soil, but it's it's you know it's filled with choking stuff. And then there's the soft uh, soil or the or the fertile uh, 
sold. And so there's, there's four different types. Now, um, but, but what's interesting uh, is Jesus used this great analogy. When, when, they, when they spread the seed, uh, it would fall in, in, in different kinds of places. Now, and the reason is because in that day, they, the farmer would broadcast the seed. Now, uh, today, if you farm today, like if you go over to, uh, to the other side, let's just say you, you drive out to Seguin and, and uh, you know, they've harvested most of it now, but you might see uh, the grain sorghum, or y'all call it milo, we used to call it grain sorghum, you see the corn or, or, or soybeans or whatever. It's, it's in rows, and typically those rows are 30, sometimes 36 inches apart. And so, so you'd, you'd take a planter and you'd plant that seed. Now, if you were going to plant rye or wheat or millet, you might use uh, what we used to call when I was growing up, what we used, we called it a grain drill. And what a grain drill would do is it, it, it put the seeds in rows, little rows, just an inch or two apart. And you'd, you'd drill and so you'd get full coverage. But you could also, if you were planting grass seed, and sometimes if you planted uh, some of the other crops, you, you would have a broadcast spreader. And what you'd do is you'd put your seed, you do that really with grass seed, uh, you put that in a broadcast, and it just kind of throws it everywhere. How many of you guys have a have a lawn spread at home? Maybe a Scott Speedy Green. Yeah, we got that. Well, you put out fertilizer with that, or you, or you put out seed with that. Well, what happens when you broadcast? When, and I don't know how it works for you, but when I put something out with my broadcast spreader, it gets all up on the sidewalk because I get too close, and you get too close, and you get grass seed coming up in your in your flower beds, because what happens is when you broadcast, it falls in different places. In those fields that they lived in, that they farmed, they had these little paths that when they walked between towns or they walked to, between homes, there were these little pathways. And they weren't particularly wide. They were probably about as wide as the sidewalk, maybe, you know, give or take a little bit. But those pathways would become hard, and sometimes the seed would fall on the path. And so in, in what Jesus says up there in, in verse 3 and verse 4 is, uh, as he sowed, some of the seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And so, so, what, would happen, so what we know would happen, that guy, he didn't have a, he didn't have a Scott Speedy Green, or he didn't have a broadcaster on the tractor. He probably had some kind of bag around his neck. And, and once they cultivated the field, they probably just took it by hand. And what they would do is they just, you know, we think they'd just kind of throw it. You know, they may not go, they might throw it this way to, to spread out of it. But that's what, what they would do is broadcast. Well, when you do that, you don't really have any control on where the seed falls. Some on the good stuff. Some lands on the rocks. Some gets over on the sidewalk or the pathway. And uh, some guts gets, gets wedged in among the way. It just kind of falls everywhere. Well, Jesus gives, he paints that picture for us. And, and then, and, and, but there, there's a point to this. And the point is that the condition, now this isn't a profound statement, but I believe it's a true statement. Uh, what he will say, you know, every parable has a primary meaning. And the primary meaning of this parable is the condition of your heart determines the response to the gospel. Just like the condition of the soil determined what happened to the seed. And so as we look at what happened to the seeds in Jesus' story, think about how that, that's true of our hearts. Because when the message goes out, there's one message, it's the gospel. It, it falls in different places. 
And Jesus gives us four specific places that it falls in. First of all, it could fall on the hard path, what I would call the stony heart. You know, uh, again, the, the soils represent, I believe in Jesus' story, they represent the human heart. And when the gospel goes out, we, it, you, I, we prayed for Brent that's going to engage people in conversation on the Appalachian Trail. When, he, when the gospel goes out, some of it's going to fall on some stony hearts. If you go out, if I go out, if we have gospel conversations, if you try to engage somebody in conversation, sometimes it's going to fall on a stony, on a hard heart. Just like when you put out the grass seed at your house or you put out, sometimes it gets up on the sidewalk. Man, listen, when it gets up on the sidewalk, when it gets in the hard place, what Jesus said, listen, the birds would come and they would, they would take it, they would snatch it up. And he said that's a picture, and if we read his, his description again down to verse 18, he said that's a, a, a picture of how Satan comes along, that, that if, a, if a heart is not receptive to the gospel, and if a heart is hard toward the gospel, then Satan will come along and he'll snatch it up, and he'll take it away. And oftentimes God's word falls on a, a hard heart. Uh, if you will. Uh, John MacArthur says, uh, Satan snatches away the seed. He said it doesn't just stay there. He, he wants to make sure it has no chance to penetrate. And, and so, so he snatches it away. Maybe he may use the influence of false teachers. Uh, he may, he may use you know, the fear of man. Well, you know, if I respond to the gospel, you know, what is going to, to happen to me? Uh, he may snatch it away through pride. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, I don't, I, I just don't need the gospel. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, I, I said hello to a dad who, who uh, had brought his son to student ministry, to youth group. And, uh, and I said, man, so glad you're here. I'd like to invite you to a men's study. And he said, I don't need it. He says, my son needs to come. But I don't need it. I beg to differ. We all need it. But yet his heart. You know, uh, you know, he, he, he just said, I, I don't need that. And sometimes Satan uses that. Uh, other times people doubt the gospel. They, they doubt it. And I understand. I was, on the, I was on the airplane a number of weeks ago, and I engaged in conversation, a guy, and, and he said, my dad was a, was a practicing atheist. He said, I'm not really a practicing atheist. I kind of think something might be out there, but I don't really know. And so we had an engaging conversation you know, about aspects of the gospel. And it was, it was, you know, it was kind of fun because, you know, I didn't have all the answers, you know, and I was just, you know, we would dialogue and we'd talk back and forth. And, uh, and yet he, he, he wasn't sure, you know, is this really true? And sometimes when, when people doubt, Satan can snatch that away. Uh, sometimes it's, it's through prejudice. Sometimes, sometimes the reason to, it falls on the hard soil is, is stubbornness. You know, uh, sometimes we're just stubborn. We just, we want to do it our way. And so, um, and sometimes it's through procrastination. I mean, do you, do you know how many people die, have died and gone to hell knowing they needed to be saved, planning to be saved, but putting off being saved? And one of the great tricks that Satan has is, He'll say, yeah, you need to do that. You need to be saved. But not today. You don't need to do that today. You, you, listen, you'll be back next week. 
You, you, you'll be back in a few weeks. You, you don't need to do that today. Wait, wait do you grow up? Wait, wait do you get through college? Wait, wait do you get out, you know, and, and, and through procrastination? Listen, I can't tell you the number of people who have died and gone to hell knowing they need to be saved, but waiting until it was too late. And so, that, so we see the, the stony heart. That's kind of what happens. Listen to what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. You know this verse. And let me just give you the kind of Philip's translation. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And that, that's what happened. The, Satan blinds people. You know, we began talking about uh, Christopher Hitchens, one of the famous atheists. And, you know, I've, I've, I kind of do, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by apologetics. Uh, just just listening to guys talk about uh, how to defend the faith and and, uh, you know, I read some articles online, and it, it, it's amazing that the modern atheist is, is, is almost militant in, in their objection to the gospel. I mean, if, if you read, if you get online to stand a reason or some of these places and, and read apologetics articles and, and you read the comments, I don't really advocate that because it can get pretty hairy sometimes in there. But, but, but some of these guys are militant against the gospel. And their heart has become so hardened, so hardened, that they cannot hear it. And uh, one of the things that I, I think, and uh, I think one of your classes studied Frank Turek, uh, don't have enough faith to be an atheist. He's got a great question. He says, you know, when you're engaging somebody, here's a question you need to ask them. He says, if, if, if they're opposed to the gospel, just ask them, hey, hey, if, if you knew Jesus were real, would you believe? Because you know what I found? I, I've, I've asked that question on several occasions. And I had a guy sitting in the conference room of our office up there. I asked a guy that question. And I said, if you knew Jesus was real, if you knew the Christianity were true, would you believe? You know what he said? He said, nope. Not interested. So, so, here's, so why, should, why should we waste our time with him trying to win him to the gospel? He's unwinnable. Until his heart changes, because his heart is hardened. I asked a young man on the plane. I said, kind of, we were riding down, getting close to, to, to Charlotte. I said, I said, well, man, if if you knew Jesus, who he said he was, a Christian church, would you believe? And and he thought about it for a moment. And he said, yes, I would. And and here's here's how I ended that. I said, well, don't you owe it to yourself to do the research and find out if he is real. Because here's the thing, and I've kind of digressed from my message. But what we need to understand is, is this is this is not me. Jesus says their hearts are hard. In fact, I think it's in Luke where he says they, they, they're not going to be saved. So if someone's heart's got hard, you move on. Hey, but it's not just the atheists. Listen, you know the reason procrastination works? Because what happens is people come, they hear the gospel during their life, and, and, and their heart becomes callous. You know, if you do enough work in the yard, if you do enough work in the garden, if, if you push that spreader around long enough, you'll get some callus. You know, the first time you, you get out digging your garden without gloves, your, your hands are going to get a little sore. They're going to get a little tender. You know, uh, but if you do that long enough, your hands are going to callus over. And you're going to pick up that shovel and you're going to go dig around the garden and you're not even going to know it. Right? You've had that happen, Right? Well, if, if we come, if we hear the gospel and, and the Holy Spirit 
pricks our heart and your heart and our, our heart's tender. And we go, oh, not today. Oh, not today. Oh, not today. You know what's going to happen one day? That old heart's going to get so hard that it doesn't heal anymore. And, and that's what this stony soul is like. The second, there's another, there's another heart represented. Uh, th- this person is not saying, you know, it's not saying the stony heart. But the second soul is what we call the shallow heart. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 5, in, in verse 6. He says, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. You know, the the interesting thing about living in the hill country is if you've got a yard, you've got some of this kind of soil. You, you got some places that's got about that much topsoil. Some about that much. But you got some about that much. I got this place in my yard. You know, you build a house. They, they, we're going to put out so much topsoil and then put your grass down. Well, you know, if, if you can stick your finger down and you hit rock right there, it looks good in May when it's raining. But if you come by my house, I got this big old spot that's dead as a hammer. Why? Because it, it, it ain't got much root. Why? Because it's shallow. Now, what happens in, in, in Jesus' parable, so what happens a lot of times with the gospel is people come and they hear the gospel and they go, oh, yeah, I want to believe. I, I, hey, I'll sign up for Jesus. And so they sign up for Jesus. They give their heart to, to Jesus, supposedly, and, and they go along for a month or they go along for a few months or they go along for a year and all of a sudden difficult times come. And they wither. And the sun in the story is a picture of tribulation and difficulty and hardship. You know, the sun's a beautiful thing for your grass as long as there's water. I mean, grass will grow on nothing when there's water. But when, when you, you take a little bit of the water away, you know, the sun to the, to the good soil produces a crop. But to the bad soil, it kills it. And there are people. There are people who have professed faith in the gospel. And they've come and said, oh, yeah, I want to believe. Oh, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. And they go join a church somewhere. They go get baptized somewhere. And they do good for a month or two or three, maybe a year. But then hard times come, and they fall away. Now, the amazing question is, and this is where there's a tension, because what happens, we believe in eternal security. That's one of our, that's our, our, our doctrinal position of of Southern Baptists and, and many conservative evangelicals. We believe in eternal security, and I'm absolutely convinced in eternal security. But I'll tell you, based on what Jesus says here, not everybody that professes to be saved is genuinely saved. If they don't persevere to the end, their profession isn't real. Because what the gospel teaches is that the real people endure. As a matter of fact, look at the turnover to Colossians. I'm a little ahead of myself, but we need to move on. Colossians chapter 1. Go to 2 Corinthians, then it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you want to remember the order of those four, it's General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I mean, that helps. I mean, it works. So that will help you get there. Um, so, that's just extra. That's free stuff right there. All right. Look at Colossians 1. Let's pick up in verse 21. 
And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now listen to this. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, I've got, I, I need to be very clear here. And I want you to, and I want to pause because I want to be very clear. Paul is not saying we endure in order to be saved. What Paul is saying, we endure because we are saved. Do you understand the difference? You, you don't endure so you can be saved. When you are saved, you're going to endure. You're going to, to, uh, to survive the difficulties. Look down in chapter 2, verse 7 of Colossians. Listen to what he says. Uh, pick up in verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, rooted, and built up in him. What did Jesus say about the second soul? He said they didn't have any root. But Paul says, no, no, we walk in him rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. Now, I want to be careful here. I'm not saying that people can't fall away and backslide for a season and then come back to Christ. But if somebody gives their life to Jesus as a 10-year-old boy, they walk down the aisle in the church somewhere, they get baptized, they say, hey, I belong to Jesus and something happens somewhere along the line, and they walk away never to come back to the gospel, they're apostate. They're not saved. You know, just because you pray a prayer, if any man's in Christ, Jesus, uh, Paul said he's a new creation. The old's passed away, the new has come. And, and so, uh, in, in the spirit of the political season, anybody remember Bill Bradley ran for president of the United, uh, you know, for the Democratic nomination a number of years ago? This was—I read this this week. This was in his memoirs. He said, "I've made my choice." Wrote the basketball star. I love Jesus Christ. I try to serve Him to the best of my ability. How about you? That wasn't David Robinson. That wasn't AC Green or another Christian playing in the NBA. That was Bill Bradley. A former U.S. Senator who went who uh, tried to win the Democratic Party's nomination. Uh, Chuck Colson talked about how Bradley professed faith in Christ while he was a student at Princeton University. Uh, he became very active in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and by the time he was playing for the Knicks, he was a very outspoken Christian. But things have changed. In his 1996 memoirs, Bradley says, "This is his words." Said he was put off by the exclusive truth claims of conservative Christianity. And bothered by the uncharitable and racist attitudes displayed by some Christians, he now says he embraces all religion from Buddhism to Islam so long as they seek inner peace. Now, was his salvation real? I'm not his judge. But what Jesus said, if you spring up and look good, but you're a wither away because you have no root. You're not saved. And so we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we just, ah, oh, man, what's St. Dollar say? Oh, yeah, he prayed a prayer when he was 10. I remember vacation Bible school. And he lived like the devil the rest of his life. But he made a decision. Listen, the scripture doesn't talk about making a decision. 
The scripture talks about being born again. So don't, don't, don't buy a lie. It says, well, you know, I did that way back then. Listen, that's what Jesus says. Go back to Matthew 13. There's another soil. Not only is there the shallow soil, but there's what I would call the stifled soil or the cluttered soil. Look, if you will, in verse, I think it's verse 7. It says, other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And and so what happens is, you know, when you, one of the things, when the farmer farms and and you cultivate, you know, you, you try to get rid of the weeds. But here's kind of the deal. And uh, I was kind of reminded of this the other day or a couple months ago, you know, and you know how it is in the spring, the grass turns green, you want to fix up your yard, you, you get all excited. So, so I wanted to, you know, we brought, I was going to bring in a little bit of gravel, and so I got some of that, that, uh, that the stuff you put down for the weeds, the weed block, you know, you put this down, 10-year guarantee, you know, weeds aren't going to come up or whatever. And after about a month, I got this, this grass starts coming up. We, when I was growing up, we called it nut grass. I don't know what y'all call it, but this, this stuff has got a point. And so it'll wiggle its way right up through that weed block. And, and what happens is you go down to pull it up and you can't get the root because it's grown up through that stuff. And so all you can do is pull, you just pull across the top. Well, what happens is you pull it off and, and then you come and it grows back up. Well, the, the more you break it off, the bigger it gets because the roots are still there. And so here's the deal. Listen, if, if you're going to deal with the weed, you got to deal with the root, right? Our, our, our upward group picked up, Jim, how many buckets, 20-something buckets of, of grass burrs? They went out there. You know what they did? They, they didn't go out there and pull it. They went up there and dug them up by the root. Because if you don't deal with the root, you don't deal with the weed. If you don't deal, listen, listen, listen. If we don't deal with the root, we don't deal with the sin. And the third heart that Jesus is talking about, they come to the gospel. They come to Jesus and what they do is they kind of mow it off at the top. Oh, yeah, I'll stop doing this. Yeah, I'll stop doing that. They, they don't repent. They just clean up. They just kind of clean themselves up. And they embrace the gospel. And then a little bit of time passes. And, and here's what I know. You know this to be true. You go, you go cultivate your yard. You don't have to do a cotton-picking thing, and weeds will come up. And they'll grow when there's no rain. They'll grow when there is rain. And they'll just, they'll, they'll just grow. Why? Do you know why that's true? Weeds are native to the soil. Anyway, as I was reading this week, one of the most profound statements I read, and I don't know if it was Warren Wiersbe or who it was, but they said, you know, the interesting thing about the human heart, weeds are native. We were born with a sinful nature. That's why you don't have to teach your kids how to say no and shake their fist at you. That's automatic. Just don't, don't feed them. They'll squall. Don't change them. They'll wake you up at night. And why? Because selfishness, it's natural. You have to plant the good seed. And, and so the idea is, so with this third, this third type of soul, what happens is people, they embrace the gospel, but they don't repent of their sin. And so sooner or later, the, the cares of this world... 
the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for worldliness somehow comes up and begins to flourish and it begins to compete with the good seed and the bad seed. And you know what happens? Listen, if you don't dig, if you don't dig them grass burrs up, Jim, what happens? They'll take the place over. If you don't deal with the weeds, they will take the place over. And when people, when you don't deal with the sin, when you don't get to the root of the sin, then sooner or later that sin comes up and it stifles, it chokes out the faith. Notice what he says. He says it becomes unfruitful. There's no fruit. And so the question, you know, are, 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 are these people really saved? Are they saved? And I, I, I think careful study of the text suggests that the only saved people are the fruitful people. That brings us to soul number four, which we'll, I'll call it the soft heart. Jesus called it the good soul, the fertile soul. You know, you, you, that's where, hey, it's, it, you know where they put a lot of dirt up by your sidewalk before you planted your grass, man? Man, I got some places my grass still looks good because the, the dirt's about that deep. Now, where there's no dirt, it's brown, right? Because when there's when there's when the soil's good, man, the the the, the seed will bear fruit. And so, what Jesus is saying is here in the gospel is that the, the, when seed falls on good soil, man, it it's good stuff. Now, here's here's what's astonishing about this, and, and we got to hurry. But let me just say this. Three out of four, three out of four hearts that the, the, the gospel message falls on are unfruitful. So only, only one out of four bears fruit. And now that has so many different meanings. Let me give you one of them. One of them is, that means when you, when you present the gospel, not everybody's going to embrace it. Not everybody's going to be saved. Some of them are going to pretend to be saved. Some of them are going to, you know, they're, they're, they're going to want to be saved, but they're not willing to make the commitment. They're not willing to change. But there are going to be some that are going to be saved. Now, what's interesting, this three out of four thing, uh, we were at a conference about a year and a half ago. Uh, Ed Stetcher does research for Lifeway. Currently in America, about 20% of the population has no affiliation of faith, and about 5% are other faith. So about one out of four Americans have no Christian faith. They would probably be category one. And then he says, which leaves about 75%. Well, about 25% of those remaining, or about one-third of those remaining, about 25% of the population is what he calls cultural Christians. So about one out of four people in America, they are Christian because they're not something else. They're just, it's not that they're a follower of Jesus. I, I just, I grew up in America. America's Christian. I'm not something else. I'm a Christian. So about one out of four. Then about, about one out of four are what, they, what he called co uh, congregational Christians. Sometimes people call them the CEOs. You know, they come at Christmas and they come at Easter only. You know, that's kind of their, you know, we see them a couple times a year. And they go, oh, yeah, I go to this church. Or, oh, yeah, I go to that church. Well, who's the pastor? I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I can't, you know, uh, and so they're, they're, they're congregational. You know, they identify with the church. And they know the name of the place. They just don't ever come. Or very seldom do they come. And then he says about, about one out of four are convictional Christians. 
They're serious about what they say they believe. Now, I just find that interesting if you lay those percentages over this parable because Jesus said, listen, uh, one out of four, they're just going to reject the gospel. He says one out of four, they're going to embrace the gospel, but it's not real. He says another one out of four, they're, they're going to embrace the gospel, but it's going to, the world is going to come along. You know, they're going to get there a few times a year, but the rest of the time they're going to go serve the world. And he says, but some of it's going to fall on the good stuff. And if it falls on a good heart, man, that heart's going to produce. Some of it's going to produce a hundredfold. Some of it's going to produce sixtyfold. Some of it's going to produce thirtyfold. Now, this guy, this 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 fourth guy, he what? Notice what it says there. It says, I think it's down in verse. Let me go to verse twenty-two and see if I can find uh, the word I'm looking for. Uh, actually, it's verse twenty-three. It says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word. And understands it. Uh, Mark says this is the one that accepts it. Luke says this is the one that holds fast to it. And that's the guy you want to be. That's the girl you want to be. You want to be one that, that embraces the word. And then you produce. You produce. Now, what is the true test? Of what kind of heart you have. How do you know which one you are? You know what Jesus said? In Matthew 7, 16, Jesus said, you will know them by their what? By their fruit. So if you want to know, is what you got real. You got to look at the fruit. What kind of fruit is there in your life? And the Bible, you know, there's different kinds of fruit. Uh, obviously, there's, uh, let me just give you... Uh, a couple, uh, Romans 6.22, Jesus talks about uh, the fruit of a sanctified life. I mean, it, 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 is our life different? Are you set apart? It, have you been set apart for Jesus? Are you sanctified? That's what that word means. Now, obviously it means holy, but set apart unto Jesus, Romans 6.22. Uh, second... Uh, thought, not only uh, the sanctified life, do you have the character? Are, are we practicing the character of Jesus? Are we more like Jesus today than we used to be? Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we won't go there. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, uh, it's self-control. And Paul said against that, there's no law. So is there, is there the fruit, is the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Do you see it in your life? And that's, it's not going to be perfect. Trust me. You know, I, I look at that and go, oh, man, Lord, am I? But, but we need to look. Uh, third, there would be the, um, the fruit of good works. We won't go back to Colossians 1.10, but it talks about uh, the, the bearing fruit in every good work. It, do you have some works? Now, you don't, you don't want to work to be saved. But if you're saved, you ought to be working for the kingdom of God. So you're, you need to look at your life and say, is there, some, is there some good spiritual work going on in your life? Is there good spiritual evidence that you say? Then next, uh, what we would call the fruit of the fruit of souls, winning others to Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul talked about that in Romans uh, one thirteen. Paul said, "I'm dying to come to you so I can have a harvest." This is this is a this is a hard question. Who's going to be in heaven because of you? 
Who's going to be in heaven because of what God's doing and has done in your life? Is there spiritual fruit in your life? And so, and then, you know, then uh, the fruit of sharing what we have in the Romans, uh, Galatians, or excuse me, Hebrews 13, uh, the fruit of praise and worship. Now, now we began asking, we began with this question, why doesn't everyone believe? And can I just tell you why? Because, because not everyone's heart is in it. And if their heart's not in it, they're not changed. And so the question you and I have to wrestle with, is our heart in it? Is there fruit in your life? from what Jesus has done. Let's bow together. Lord Jesus, your, your word is uh, it's tough. It cuts to the heart. In fact, in Hebrews, it said the word of God is living and active, and sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides uh, between joints and marrow, soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And Lord, this morning, 